ask you to join me in prayer today. Uh, Father God, we've come into your house to worship you and to praise you because you alone are worthy. You are God and we are not. And we acknowledge first and foremost that we are sinners, that we have no hope apart from your revelation to us, from your, you showing yourself to us today. And so that's why we've come here, to worship you, to draw near to you, and to wait upon you. To, to show up in our lives and, and direct us and guide us. I pray in this time in your word that you inspired through faithful servants that you would now open the ears and the eyes of those who are seeking you today, that we could know truth more profoundly and we could know you, know you more deeply, Father God. Wherever we are and you know our hearts, I pray that we would take that one more step closer. We would dare to risk, dare to have faith and dare to dream about what you're calling us to that you would be glorified and we would become more, holist, more holistically healed and more complete for your kingdom work. You are a God who is always on the job and we know that and we've come here today just to sit for the time at your feet and learn. I pray you would speak and we would listen. May we be uh, doers of your word and not hearers only. We pray these prayers uh, in, in the spirit of Jesus Christ and also in his name. Amen. All right, so we're going to continue in the Word this morning, and, and um, we're just going to jump right in today. I, I'm pretty excited. This is our third week in Parents of Spiritual Leaders series we're doing. Uh, we kicked it off uh, three weeks ago, because it's the third week. And um, today we're going to talk about some real practical stuff. Um, today, I'm, I, I'm trying to turn a little bit, and I hope you'll bear with me. I'm trying to turn a little bit because I really feel this conviction that we have to be doers of the Word. You'll hear me say that a lot, you know, and uh, I hope that you have that same desire with me, um, that we would not just read Scripture, but we would become active in responding to what God has revealed. You know, there's nothing more frustrating uh, as a parent is if you give clear instructions and then someone doesn't follow them, Right? Or, or as a director of anything, if you say, hey, here's clearly what you need to do, and then people don't respond, and I can't imagine, because I don't, I don't pretend to be God or see it from his view, but I can't imagine, uh, literally, how it must be from God's view of our lack of obedience and lack of responding. So uh, today we're going to try to talk through some scriptures and get real practical about how we can be doers of the word and not hearers only. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn to um, the, the book of Deuteronomy. We've been starting here. This is our foundational text for this whole series, Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open to Deuteronomy 6. If you don't, you can use one of ours. And uh, the page number should come up there in a second on the screens. We've heard this a lot. This is called the Shema. It's well known among the Jewish people. They memorize this. They, they teach their children to memorize this, and they can just recite it, you know, like no problem at all. Um, I hope we become those kind of people as well. It's on page 128 if you're using one of our Bibles. It's important to get eyes on the word as well. So he, hear what it says today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be put upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I love that passage of scripture, and, and we've been reading it for several weeks now, um, and I hope that you do. I hope you just get into the rhythm of that passage um, of God's revelation. But I'll point out what we talked about in the first week, which is that only people who are being obedient to God can teach 
encourage others to become obedient to God. You know what I mean? And that means that we first examine ourselves and where we are with Jesus. I, I, this verse, uh, in verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, is the answer that Jesus looks for when he says, what does it mean? What's the, big, what's the biggest command in obeying God? And when someone gives this answer, he says, that's right. That's the right answer, right? We know that verse. It comes out of the Gospel of Luke. And, um, and so we have that first thing, to love the, the Lord our God with all of our hearts and with all of our soul and all of our strength, right? All of our passion, all of our breath, and all of our energy, everything that we have to show love to God first. There's a fundamental problem that we have, I, I believe, um, that we don't understand that God gave us life. We talked a minute ago about what he's given us, but he literally gave us life. It's such a gift. And no matter where you are in life and you think, man, it's the hardest time ever. I got nothing. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. I'm, and I always say to people, you know, you have life, Right? I mean, if you're talking, you have life. And that in itself is such a huge gift. And our response is to give everything that we have back to God. I go on about that because sometimes we think, well, we're not ready yet to give anything back to God. But, you know, you give them what you got, right? And you just give them what you got from where you are. So, so here in verse 6 says, these commands that I give you should be upon your hearts. And so that's the first thing is that they're upon our hearts. But what I want to talk about today is this, this next set of verses here. And we've talked about it a few times. Because he goes on, he says, once you have it in your heart, like once you, once you are, are really uh, living and, and doing these things, you're, they become part of you. And Paul reminds us to start where we are. You know? He says, if it all don't make sense to you, that's okay. Just start with what you know and, and work from there. Like there's no excuse to not begin today. But, but the, the second part here is he says, impress them on your children. And, and I'm, I'm going to make a start here with this conversation about that you and I as parents teach through, through real life, right? Um, we're going to walk through these four things that come up here in Deuteronomy, um, but we, we really teach our kids in real life. We talk about the intimacy of marriage. No one knows us better than our spouse. We talked about that in our Love and Marriage series. Our, our kids are like next in line for that kind of knowledge, you know? I mean, that's why it's really hard because if your kids call you out on stuff, you know, if you're really honest, you got to be like, wow, that's kind of true, you know, because they see it all the time. And so we don't teach our kids in like a vacuum. We don't have the pleasure or the privilege, uh, and, and it's kind of false to teach our kids like in a sanitary environment, like we're going to give them the information they need. Or um, I, I thought about this, you know, Chris and I used to homeschool our kids for a while. And uh, then we put our kids in public school when I went into ministry. And it's interesting because one of the things we used to do is we would talk about, well, let's teach our kids about how to, how to uh, handle money. And so the way that Chris would do that is she'd say, hey, get in the car. I'm going to the grocery store with Nathan when he was little. And instead of having a math lesson, if you have kids in the elementary where the little quarters, you know, when my, Olivia was learning how to count money, the money she learned to count was like these little paper artificial pennies. And when you would take a real one out of your pocket and show it to her, she, she would like, what's that? Because this was a penny, but not necessarily this yet, you see? And, and part of the beauty of homeschooling was you could say, hey, come with me. Let me show you something. And it was real life. It was, it was now, now the cash register says 2635, so how much change do we have to give them? If we, if, we, if we give them 27, how much change will we get back? You see, it becomes very, like, real. And so as parents, we're, we're allowed, we're empowered to teach. Sometimes we think, well, I'm, we teach more like we're in a classroom. I'm the worst at this, right? 
Everyone on the couch, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> my family said to me, don't preach at us, Dad. <laughs> it's my job. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not my job. My job is to come alongside my kids and say, hey, let's go and do this. Matter of fact, I'd say it's the job of real disciple makers to do more of this, hey, let's go, than, hey, listen to me tell you how, how we do this. And so parents are teachers in real life situations. Now, there's four of them here. I hope you're looking at your text. It says, impress them on your children. And when God gives us commands to impress them on our children, he says, there's four ways that you're going to do this. And I'm just going to walk them really quickly. And I want you to see with me what scripture says. He says, talk about them when you sit at home, right? So I can pull those up here. Talk about them when you sit at home. And this means, it means dwelling, like the place that you are, the place you were living, that's where you're to teach your children. Like in, in the quiet times, in, in, in that safe place, in the place where, you know, the public has to knock and ask permission to come in. That's where we teach our children uh, first and foremost. It literally means the place that you abide, right? So we teach our children when we're at home, impressing them with these, this passion for God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And the second is this. It says, and as you walk along the road. And so this kind of becomes that thing we were talking about with, you know, going to the grocery store, right? This is kind of what we're talking about. It means as you travel. One of the translations I love, this, this particular verse says, on the way. On the way. You know, I, I challenged fathers last week to do something with their, their children. And, and some of the things, some of the most powerful things we can do, memory makers, is we can do stuff on the way with our kids, right? We, we can say, I'm going to the hardware store. Would you like to come along? There's hardly any kids that would say no, unless they're like, you know, involved in a video game or something, you know. I mean, there's, there, there's this reality. You remember when you were a kid, and if your mom or dad would invite you anywhere, you'd be like, yes, and you're in the car. Sometimes you didn't know where you're going yet. That, that's a genuine response. And that's someone who is teaching real life on the way. Come with me. You can even create some of these opportunities. We've done something in our family called um, ice cream and pajamas. Our kids are old enough now that I can kind of let the secret out of the bag. But we put everybody to bed early, and they'll be mad, like mad about it. It's not even our bedtime, you know. And then, and then once they were all, and they had to get in bed, and they were, were like, come on, Lord, just let them get in bed for 30 seconds. And they would get in bed and quit complaining, and we'd go and say, get up, get up, get up, get up. We're going. And we wouldn't just go like down the street to ice cream. We'd go like to real ice cream. I'm not going to drop names because I don't get endorsed, but... <laughs> You know, it's about 20 minutes from here. Okay, so, so we would go to real ice cream, you know, and we, and we would sit there, and people would look at us, and our kids would be in pajamas, you know, like, in, in like you know, out there and just eating ice cream. And just memories. Why? On the way. We want them to know things like, we love you so much. We're so blessed to have you. So there's something very practical we can do on the road. It means, it means in real life, too. You know, we're going to talk about this in a minute. It means... It means that, like, in the hard times, because, you know, here's the trouble about teaching on the road. You teach at home, you can give sermons. Like, I can tell my kids at home, this is what we ought to do. But when we're actually at the hardware store with our kids, we lose control of the environment, don't we? We, we, we begin to respond to the things around us. And our kids see how we respond, for better and for worse, on the road. It says, teach these things when you're out, when you're traveling. The next thing in this is, uh, it says, uh, when you lie down, right? And, and, and I think of automatically, okay, you're running back to the house and, and you're laying down. 
But a more right translation is whenever you stop, you teach the kids whenever you stop, all right? Um, you know, you, you, you've had a long day. Matter of fact, I even think this will go as, as far to say, like, when you stop everything, there's something called Sabbath, rest, right? Do you have a day of the week that you tell your family, no, no. This is, we're, this is downtime. You know, if you read the Old Testament, when God created everything, God had enough time in his schedule to stop for a whole day. And we go, well, that's good for God, but it's not good for us. You know, the commands that come up next in the scripture, it says, keep the Sabbath holy. Do we, do we teach our kids how to stop? Stop, stop. To lie down, to rest, to take it easy. And then the last one is when we continue, right? And um, it, it means rise up. And, and this, again, has so many depths of meaning, but it means, you know, whenever you stop, whenever you rise up out of bed, also, whenever you choose to stand on something, when you refuse to be defeated, when you refuse to lay down, when you refuse to, to take a shortcut, when, when, you, when you insist on principle that this is the way it should be done, you teach your kids to obey his commands. Matter of fact, I would say we teach more profoundly here than anywhere because we live in a world that is, you know, uh, not doing things the way God does them. And I'm not saying we pick a fight everywhere, but I'm saying if there's a conviction that God has given you, this is the way to do it. And you usually know it's conviction because you don't want to do it that way. Like, you don't want to do it that way. And you say, you know what? You're right. This is hard. But we're going to do it this way. We're going to continue in faithfulness. We're going to choose to be obedient. What everyone says, it's okay. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be obedient in that. Some of that, I'm convinced, some of our willingness to roll over like that, and we say it, it's for one another, it's just really to let each other off the hook. We don't have to be obedient, do we? No. So those are the four things, you know, when you're at home and, and when you're on the way, whenever you stop and whenever you continue. I, I love, by the way, we won't spend a lot of time in this, but I love, by the way, that... Um, in verse 8, it says, tie them as symbols in your hands and, and on, bind them in your forehead. It's always thinking about someone like binding. But, you know, I was thinking about something, and, you know, I had this wrist thing on for a 40 days campaign. Uh, I wear a necklace to remind me of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Tonight, we're going to play dodgeball, I hope, God willing, and I'm going to bind something on my head. It's gonna, I'm going to put a scripture on it. Something like fear. <laughs> And now I'm going to put on back mercy. <laughs> All right. Because these kids are vicious. Hey, but you know, I mean, to, to, to really think about it, to bind it on your doorposts of your home. Why? So you can show off your neighbors? No, so that when you walk through the door, you remember, that's right. I follow a great big God, and I don't even understand it all the time. But I can be obedient because he's empowered me to be obedient in Jesus Christ. I can follow and be a spiritual leader because he is leading me. This is our call as parents. Now, I want to give you a, a practical example of this. Well, there was a commercial on TV a while back, and I don't know if you caught it. Um, and I even saw even a better one this week. I, I couldn't get it um, to present to you. But there was this commercial where there was this, a mom and a girl in a car, and someone cuts them off in traffic. And, and, and uh, the mom's on the phone, and the, girl's on the little girl's in the backseat on her pretend Barbie phone. And, and as soon as they cut off, they stop. And the mom starts to freak out. How could you get in my way? And she looks in the rearview mirror, and her daughter is just screaming out the window. Gay! And this mom just goes, oh, no. Right? I mean, because we lead by example. 
And so today I want to walk through a very practical thing that Scripture teaches us um, about, about how, we can chew, how we can learn as followers of Jesus, do it as an example to our kids, be obedient in our life, which will become an example to our kids. And, and the thing I want to talk about today as an example is um, uh, the process of reconciliation or, or uh, resolving conflict in our lives. I, I talk to a lot of people, and I believe that resolving conflict is one of the, a huge issue for so many people. Unresolved conflict. I want to read for you. You can look if you want. I'm going to look at the, uh, Psalm 38 today, and I'm going to read this to you. This is written by David, and David was a man that says, after God's own heart, David was a guy that God chose to anoint as king. Like, he's a big deal in the, in the uh, revelation of God. As a matter of fact, it says that Jesus was a descendant of the King David. Right? So, I mean, this is a really big thing to, to, to know about David. And David writes this psalm, it's Psalm 38, because David wasn't perfect. He screwed up a lot. But and Psalm 38 is interesting because David writes it at a time that he had not yet repented. He had not yet confessed to God his sin. And I just want you to hear it with me. We're going to talk through it quickly because we have another text to get to. But I want you to hear this with me. Starting in verse 1, he says, O Lord, this is the way, by the way, is the same one. It says, you know, hear, O Israel, the Lord, your God, the Lord is one. L-O-R-D, Yahweh, the God, the sovereign God of the universe. He says this, O sovereign God, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath, right? Listen, your arrows have pierced me and your hand is pushing down on me. This is David when he's unrepentant. He's feeling the weight of God's wrath. Because of your wrath, listen to this, there's no health in my body any longer. My bones have become unsound because of my sin. I don't think we believe that anymore. My guilt has overwhelmed me, and my burden has become too heavy to bear. If you watch any TV, I want you to think about what's happening in our culture, you know. There's that picture, that one commercial, that, that lady who's going and she's winding down. And someone comes, they go, and she's like, chick, 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 chick. you know what I mean? She can go again. I mean, I want you to hear what David says. The guilt that I have before your throne has become too heavy for me to bear. He's saying, I'm overwhelmed. I'm stuck. I'm depressed. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful foolishness. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long, I go about mourning. King David, all day mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There's no health in my body. I am feeble, and I'm utterly crushed. I groan in the anguish of my heart. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart beats fast. My strength is failing. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions have started to avoid me because of my wounds. Can you relate to this? My neighbors are staying far from me. Verse 12 says this, those who seek my life have set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin all day long. They're plotting to get me. See, he's getting, he's paranoid. Everything's against me. No one is for me. 
I am like a deaf man who cannot hear, a mute man who cannot open his mouth. I become like a man who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. He's not communicating. He's not speaking. He's not hearing. He's completely shut in. I wait for you, O Yahweh. You will answer, O Lord, my God. For I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my foot slips. Right? Because I'm about to fall, and my pain is always with me. Listen to verse 18. Because I'm about to fall, and my pain is always with me, I confess to you today my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Many are those who are my vigorous enemies, those who would hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil slander me when I pursue what is good. And then he asks this petition, O Lord, Yahweh, do not forsake me. Don't be far from me, O my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Savior. You see, he comes to the end of himself, and he's like, I am stuck. I have no way forward, and all I can do is cry out for your mercy and your love. And you know, this is something that we walk around with. We actually wear some of these things as badges of honor, right? We're like, I'm exhausted, but I'm pressing on. You know, I've, all my friends, I've been alienated. And here David says, it's all because of my sin and my iniquity, and he confesses it before the sovereign God. God, you know me, and I've messed up. My foot's going to slip, and here's how it happened. And he says, he calls God at the end, my Savior, my Savior, right? Now, I want to say, you go, okay, great. Listen, it, when, in, our, in our own lives, we let this stuff linger. This is unconfessed sin. This is unresolved conflict in our lives. And I want to talk through practically what that means. And, and instead of just dealing with it, like God says, we let it linger and hang. And we, we can identify. I don't know if you identify that psalm, but I totally get that. It's like, yeah, that's exactly how we feel a lot of the times. Well, I want to show you a biblical solution, and I want to talk through some ways you can show, you can teach this in your family as well. This is one example from Scripture. There's tons. By the way, this is why you need to be in the Word of God, right? Um, knowing what God says. So we say, how do you resolve conflict? Let's do it. Let's look at God's way of resolving conflict. I'm going to have you turn to the, the New Testament, the first uh, letter of John to the churches. And we're going to read just two verses from it, and I want to talk through some principles that we can get from this text that we can then implement ourselves. I'm going to talk about that. And then we can teach to our children through our implementation, through how we do it. Starting in verse 8 of chapter 1. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, that's God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Very simple. You can memorize that verse in like a couple of days. I mean, th that you could really start to apply it to your life. And so I want to talk about a way that we can, in real life, for real deal, teach this, these pr some principles about how we can resolve conflict, okay? And so we're going to walk through here real quickly. And the first one is this. So I, I want you to set up in your mind some conflict that you're having. I want you to really think this through with me. And so there's something going on. And it's just a mess. And I, I bet you if you're like me, it's not your fault. Because we start there. This is a big mess, and it's not my fault. Okay? And David was there. I don't know why I'm so, everyone's chasing me. I don't know why everyone's after me. It's not his fault. Nothing to do with Bathsheba or anything like that. No idea what was happening. And so the first thing I want to encourage you to do is examine yourself. 
Examine yourself. Now, uh, we'll talk about this a little bit in some of the examples I want to get into, but, you know, uh, no matter what's happening in the conflict, you have some part in it because you're in the conflict, okay? And so you can, you can examine your own role, your own situation, what's happening to you in the conflict. All I'm suggesting is that when you're in a conflict, before you do anything else, you take a moment to look at it really and ask this question, what is my part in this? And however small or however big that part is, then own that. Take responsibility for your part in the conflict. So the first thing we do is we examine the conflict. The second thing we do is we confess. Now, this is a churchy word. And many of you maybe were like me and you're raised in a, in, a, in a tradition where you confessed often, but the people who weren't really involved. A biblical idea of confession is first and foremost to agree with God with what he already knows. So if you've examined the situation that you're in in your life and you've admitted to yourself where you are, the next thing is you confess, you agree with God about your wrongness in that. That's what this means. You confess. It means to lay aside and agree. God has said, this is wrong. You're out here going, I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. And then you examine, you go, you know, I am wrong. And you lay down right next to God and you say, God, I agree with you on, on how this is, I'm wrong in this situation. Okay. Confess. There's a second part to confession though. If this is an active conflict in your life, you go to that person and this is hard and you stand there before them. This is hard. And you say, I screwed up. I made a mistake. And then you admit to your responsibility. Now, I want to caution you. You don't go in there and say it was all me if it wasn't all you. That's not your job. Your job is to examine it and confess to what you know that you were wrong in, no matter how small. You go in there and you say, I was wrong in this. And you confess it. Be specific when you talk about what you did wrong. Don't go in. I'm, I'm the world's worst at this. I, I always the I'm sorry guy. And I would go to Chris and I would say, I'm sorry. And she would say, for what? And I'd go, whatever I did wrong. That never worked. Why? I can't even admit it. I'm sorry I spoke to you that way. I, I, I'm sorry I said, quote, you know, whatever. A lot of women would be happy to marry to me. I never said that, but you know, I'm going to say I'm trying to get some practical. Listen, be specific when you go to that person. Have a plan before you go. Don't just go and wing it, by the way. If you have to write it down, write it down. If you have to read it, read it. Walk up to them and say, I have to talk to you and get your paper out. Who cares? Be weird, but be obedient to God's call to confess. All right? The third step in this process is this. You examine, you confess, and the third is that you ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. Too often, our apologies go like this. I'm sorry, it's okay. You know what just happened there? Someone else didn't grant us forgiveness, and they kind of, they kind of permissed our sin. If someone comes to you and they say, I've done this against you, will you forgive me? And you go, don't worry about it, because you want to be like a cool guy? I do that a lot. Ah, don't worry about it. You have actually discouraged them from God's plan for confession and repentance. You've actually permissed them to repeat the behavior. It's okay. Eh, we all do it. Everybody makes mistakes. Don't worry about it. I would encourage you, if someone asks you, to answer the question. And I would encourage you, if you're asking, to ask the question. So here's what I would say to you. 
right? And I'm trying this in my own life as well. Trying to do this. Go to the person and ask, I'm sorry I did this specific thing. Will you forgive me? And they're going to say, oh, this long time ago, water under the bridge. Or if it's your kids or your wife, they're going to go, you know, no. And then you ask again, will you forgive me? If they say no, you want to confess again. I'm sorry I did this. Will you forgive me? Right? The idea is to be obedient to the process. I would encourage you to do it three times. Just because. Three times. Usually by the third time, they know, wait a minute, you want me to answer the question, don't you? You're not just here to get yourself on the hook and feel better about yourself. You really are sorry for what you did. And you really do want me to forgive you for what you did. And so ask three times, will you forgive me? If the third time there is no, they're not going to forgive you, whatever, I'd encourage you to go back to step one and re-examine. Maybe you're not confessing rightly. Think about that. But if you really have a clear heart, you've gone and you've asked and you've waited and you're still waiting. You can even say, whenever you're ready, I still would like you to forgive me whenever you can, and leave it with them to do. Fourth step in the process, here it is. Receive forgiveness, you know? Like, receive that gift. I'll tell you something about uh, people who, who know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know a lot of people who know the gospel, who can proclaim the gospel, who can teach or talk about the gospel, who can, who can say the process, but have never done step four. They've never received it for themselves. I know it. I know that Jesus died for my sins but I've never let that wash on my soul. I've never, ever admitted my own sin and confessed and asked and then just let that balm of life, the, the new life, the Spirit of God, His blessing just wash over my wounds and make me clean. Whew. That's different than knowledge. That's application. And so if someone, if, if you go to someone and you say, will you forgive me? And they say, yes, I forgive you. Then just receive it. You've done it. You have, you have received, you've, you've, you've walked through this process of, of reconciliation, of, of uh, resolving conflict. And, and, and in the fourth, I, I, or the fifth one I threw on there, just, just because I think it's something we don't do again, is if you've been forgiven, and if you've received forgiveness, then you should live as one who's been forgiven. And this is the harder, the more intimate your relationship is, because you'll carry around like false guilt in your mind your husband or wife, your children, your parents will forgive you. And they'll say, I forgive you. And instead of taking them at their word, you walk around with a false burden on your back because you're always still trying to find a way to make up for it, to, to make it right, to, to do something about it. You come back and you, uh, you know, I'm really, I'm sorry. I've already forgiven you. I mean, how many times does that have to happen before we understand that we're forgiven, that we don't bear the burden? And so we have to live in a place as forgiven people, as those who have been, uh, you know, pardoned, forgiven, set free. I do want to talk to you for a minute about giving between three and four here. If someone comes to you as a believer in Jesus Christ and asks you to forgive, do you know what Jesus says about that? Seven times 70, right? Somewhere else he says seven times a day, every day. A brother comes and confesses to you and asks for forgiveness. You give it. You grant it. He tells a story about a servant who owed more than he could ever pay. And when he got before the king, he begged for mercy. And the king forgave his debt. And the servant went out into the streets and found someone who owed him a nickel and shook him by the coat and threw him in jail because he couldn't pay. And the king was not happy with that response. Jesus is saying there's an expectation that if you are forgiven, you forgive others. As a matter of fact, the Lord's Prayer says this. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus said, this is how you pray, disciples. 
God, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. He's saying, you hold no bind, no bounds over people. You don't bind people in their sin, cause people to, 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 to uh, beg and grovel. If they've come, they've confessed, and they've asked for forgiveness, we grant it. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven us so much. And so here's this process. And then we let them live, you know. They receive it, and we let them live. And I'm not saying you'll be best buddies forever. I'm not saying you're going to be best friends and, like, walk down the road skipping and singing songs, you know. But you're going to go, God did a work here. He healed it. He reconciled it. One of, the, one of the calls of the Christian church is the ministry of reconciliation. That's a fancy way of saying getting people to get their hand back with God, to understand that he loves them, and he cares for them, and he died for them. And then restoring relationship with one another, right? Finding those boundaries that are separating us as humans and just reaching across them and finding ways to restore relationship. Paul says you've been given a ministry of reconciliation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So here, here's this process. Now, th this is where I'm trying to switch a little bit. And so I want to walk through a few because I want to see how this can work in our lives. I want you to walk out of here. Last week, you know, I was encouraged because we had a great day about talking about fathers and the, the the role of, of, of biblical uh, fatherhood, the responsibility to be the teachers of your children and to raise them up in the way they should go. And, and uh, I was excited, and then some, some people are like, that's great, how do we do that, you know? So I want to talk through some, some kind of scenarios we can see this with. Since we're talking about parents as spiritual leaders, I want to put the two people in the room that would have the most conflict here, okay? And that's a parent and a child. Sometimes I've seen parents stand around and wait for their children to be the adult, I've heard parents come to you in conflict and they go, they just won't come and apologize for anything they did. And I say, when was the last time you apologized? Well, I don't have to apologize. I'm the parent. We expect our children to be more mature than we are about things. And, and I confess that, you know, we are, we are just as bad. So I want to talk about a situation. So here, let's walk through one. Say, say your child is doing something that you find completely offensive and, and, and abhorrent whatever it is. Um, I, this is what comes to mind for me, like, like uh, playing a video game at the table. I know that's not for you. You're thinking, oh my gosh, really? You get upset about that? You know, not paying attention, not respecting people. How about, um, you know, your kid goes out and they have this like crazy weekend beer pong festival, right? And then their best friend puts it on Facebook <laughs> and you see it. And you go in there and you just lay in. You let me tell you, and you, and I mean, you know what? In that moment is righteous anger. You say, yes, Lord, we're going to go in there. I'm going to tell him. I'm going to train this child the way he should go. Do you know that God is judging you for your sin? And you're just laying it down thick, right? And then you walk away and the Holy Spirit's like, <clears throat> excuse me. Do you remember when you were 22? Do you remember what you could have used from a parent at that point? Do you remember when you were a kid and you, you couldn't sit still in church? <laughs> Do you remember? And you were convicted. Now, I'm not saying falsely. If you walk out and you're like, that's right, I did it. You know, praise God. But if you really sense in your spirit that you have wronged your child, I want you to walk through this process. First, examine. God, was that right? Spend some time in prayer. You'll carry that burden for a long time. I know, I know parents and kids haven't talked in 40 years because they can't go through this process. They can't even tell you what it was about anymore. Somebody made somebody mad, and nobody's willing to, to come back and, and confess. So you examine the situation. Then you go to your, this is so powerful, I want to tell you, you go to your kid, and you admit what you did wrong. And, and again, if they were completely wrong, and you know, beer pong isn't cool, and you shouldn't be having those kind of parties, let alone worry about being on Facebook, because at least that's just telling the truth, 
about what you did, you know? You go and you say, I shouldn't have screamed, thrown a fit, broke your favorite thing, whatever you did, you know? Just own it if God convicts you of that. Confess what you did, and then you have to say these words to your child. Now, this is beautiful. I'm telling you, when you parent this way, this will change things in your household. Because you'll get, uh, if you're like, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but you'll get weepy about this. Because you'll look into the eyes of the child that God has entrusted to your care. And you'll know the blessing. You'll remember the day when you held them up, and you're like, yes! You know, like the moment, you know, in the Lion King, ah, you know, and it's the same kid. It's the same blessing. And you look in their eyes and you say, I have sinned against you. You don't have to say the word sin. Just put in what you did. It's practical. I shouldn't have done that. And then you ask these words, will you forgive me? Oh, parents don't like this because where does it put us? It puts us down here. Will you forgive me? But I want you to know this is the place that Jesus lives his life. I mean, he lives in this place, Right? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. You ask your child, will you forgive me? Man, I tell you what, reconciliation. You, you know, you want a hug from your child? You know what's ironic about this? Usually confession begets confession. Usually you start and then the lid's off. And, and that's not our motivation because if they never confessed any wrongdoing at all, you've done your part, you've confessed it, you've asked for forgiveness. And if that child says to you, yes, you're forgiven, mom, you're forgiven, dad. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. You may have averted something that could last 40 years by acting quickly. And then the last is to live. Don't beat yourself up about that. You know, repent. Don't repeat it. Repent means to turn 180 degrees the other way. Stop doing that. The next time it happens, ask God before you go in that room to have the freak out. God, be with me in this time because you know last time I screwed this up and walk through that together. But live in repentance. I want to give you another example here. Moms and dads, right? Moms and dads. I don't know if it's like how it was in your household. I hear two things from people. Mom and dad fought all the time. I know how they were fighting because I could hear the pots and pans. Bam, slam, cabinet doors. You know, I'm going out. You know, the, 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 you know, all the anxiety and angst, the kid, you see that in the movies where the kids at the banister and are looking down and they just see the mom and dad fighting downstairs. You witness this. Or I hear people say, my mom and dad never fought. I do premarital counseling with people and they, I say, how do you resolve conflict in your home? And they're like, my parents never fought. <laughs> wow. You know, call Jesus. <laughs> we have two more just like you. <laughs> right? Mom and dad never fought. I would lay odds that mom and dad fought. You've never seen them fight. So I want to say this to you, parents. If you're the kind of parents that fight behind closed doors, I'm not going to pick on you too much about that, but think about the model you're setting for your kids. And if you're the kind of parents that fight in front of your kids, all I'm going to say is, when you do this, I want you to, you have the fight. It happens, right? And you walk away. I want you to examine your role. I want you to go back and confess to your spouse and ask for your spouse's forgiveness. Do these things with your husband or your wife. Ask them, will you forgive me for that? Ask them three times. It might take more. You may have to go through the loop a few times. But just be willing to stand in this place of humility because you want to reconcile the relationship above all else. I, I want to say this real quick. I've watched two people go through divorce because neither one is willing to start this process. They are too proud. They are too angry. They are too hurt. And they will not stoop to this level. And the lawyer's just in there gobbling it up, eating everything because they won't do this. So you walk through the process with your spouse. But I would encourage you, if you fight in front of your spouse, let your kids see you make up. Now, I'm not saying you go, hey, kids, get in here. I'm going to confess to your mom again, you know, because uh, my kids will be here all the time. But I'm saying you have to have something between the 
grr, slam, break, smash. And, and, and then the, everything's fine. Let's go to church. You know, there has to be something in between there. And you've got to show them. And I want to tell you, husbands and wives, a powerful thing you can do is if you know in the moment that you have sinned against your husband or your wife and you can identify your part in that and they happen to be sitting in front of your kids, just go do it. Honey, I should not have treated you that way. You deserve more. Here's what I did wrong. Will you forgive me? Wow. 15, 20 years, somebody asked them, how do your parents resolve conflict? Wow, they get together and they talk about what they did wrong. They ask for forgiveness. They grant it. It's a different application of the gospel. And then you will live as forgiven. By the way, uh, in the whole forgiveness thing, uh, it's interesting, but I don't have time to get into this today, but, you know, it's forgive and forget is a word we say, but, but I think the biblical admonition is forget and choose not to rem- or forgive and choose not to remember anymore. If you've forgiven your husband or wife, you've forgiven your children, you've forgiven your parents, you don't bring it up anymore. You're choosing to forget it, or you're choosing to not remember it, Right? And so do that. Choose to not remember the sin. Choose to not remember the failure and live as those who've been forgiven and those who've given forgiveness. I'll give you one more example today. That, um, and I just, there's so many more I had written down, but we don't have time. But I, I, one more example. If you're the child in this relationship and you have a parent who has never, ever said, I'm sorry for nothing. Matter of fact, you don't even think that they think that they're wrong, ever, never, ever. And they're clearly wrong, according to God's word. I would encourage you to walk through this process. No matter what has happened, I want to encourage you to sit in the hard place and say, Lord, I know there's a lot of sin in this, but what is my part? And whenever you identify that, I want you to go and confess. Confess to God the Father and ask for his forgiveness, but confess to the parent and say, you know what? And can I say something about this too? Never say but when you're confessing. Just leave the but out. Because all of a sudden it turns into justification, not confession. I'm sorry I did that, but you, da, 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 da. I'm sorry I did that, but the circumstances were. I'm sorry I did that, but I felt. I'm sorry I did that, but. I'm sorry I did that, but. Listen, you're sorry you did it. That's it. Just make a choice right there. I'm, I'm, I, even if I have all my mind going, you're okay. You didn't do anything wrong. That's, that's not God speaking. You did something wrong. So you go to your parent and you say, I'm sorry. And for my part, this is what I did. And you ask, will you forgive me? (laughs) That'll humble a lot of parents. That's hard stuff to do. And then receive forgiveness. If they receive it and live as though you've forgiven them. There's a couple of places in Scripture where it talks about worship, and Jesus ties forgiveness to worship. He says two different things in two different places in Scripture. He says, if you're in the Holy Assembly, bring your offering and you realize that you've sinned against a brother, go and confess your sin and come back with your offering. That's how Jesus was, how serious he was about forgiveness, how serious he was about reconciliation. This is the Jesus that turned over the tables in the temple because they were selling things in his house. as a house of prayer. And he said to the same people, and if you're here and you know you've done wrong, go and confess it and come back with your offering. And there's another place where it says, if you know a brother has sinned against you, go and confront him one-on-one first and give him a chance to confess and ask for forgiveness. And if he doesn't, bring someone else along and confront him again in love. You did this wrong. And a third time, it says, bring him before the church. Jesus talks about this same principle. It's very core to how we're called to live as believers in Jesus Christ. 
There were so many others, and I, I really don't have time to share them, but of people who have gone the extra mile. And I have people tell me stuff they did, and I'm like, that's crazy. I can't believe you did that. And they're like, you know, it was the best thing I ever did. I went back and I told that boss what I'd done. I went back and I, I told that person. I mean, I, people, walking back in the room with strangers and saying, I shouldn't have treated you that way. It's a whole different way to live your life. But it's how we're called to live. So whatever it is, I hope that... Uh, you, you dare to take the, the challenge. Learn to do these yourself and then impress these on your kids. How do you do this with your kids? They see you doing it. They see you living the lifestyle. You leave the gas station and there's a big blow up, whatever, and your kid says, boy, that, that guy was a jerk. Or you, somebody, you say, and you go, you know what, though? We had part of the responsibility in that. We did some things wrong back there. You admit and you walk through this process. You will teach your kids how to live life of resolving conflict of repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. And this, my friends, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to close right now. I'm going to pray in just a second. But I hope you see that today, what we talk about that God called us to do with one another, this, this very, you know, this clear process, uh, it binds us in so many ways to our sinfulness and our lostness. But I want you to see with me that the same thing that happens with our human brothers and sisters happens on the cross of Jesus Christ. I think in two weeks I'm going to talk about this idea. One of the biggest problems we have in our country is we don't think we are that bad. We don't think that we need Jesus because we're not that bad. I don't think we rightly examine our situation before the holy God, the sovereign God of the universe. And so this process of resolving conflict is exactly what we're called to when we return to God through Jesus Christ. Examination, confession, asking for his forgiveness. And you know, the beautiful thing is, and I want to, there was so much there in, in uh, John, um, John 1, 8 through 10, but I want you to hear these words. In John chapter 9, it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Like he will do it. This is his plan. And if we only confess to him, he will forgive our sins. And so uh, today, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. If you've never admitted that to God, you can do it today. Um, if, you, if you're like, I'm not doing it today, I'm going to wait on that. I hope you pray about that this week. Talk to God about it. You know, I've said to some of you before, I, I, I prayed to God before I was a believer in Jesus Christ. And I just pray like this, God, if you're there, right? I dare you to talk to God like that. Because God is most certainly there. So... Anyway, I would encourage you to, to walk through this process in your life. Uh, please join me in prayer at this time. Father God, we have come into your house and we want to be uh, followers of Jesus Christ with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. Like that's the passion that you lit inside our souls when you imparted your spirit to us, that we would totally follow you with everything. And I pray that we would, you know, stop being theoretical and start being practical, that we would stop letting your word just sit on the shelf and, and, and show up on Sundays, but that we would apply it to our lives every day that we could be healed. How many of us cry out for healing and yet we aren't even willing to do what you showed us to do already? I pray, Father God, that we would come today before your holy throne and admit our sin, Lord. We are sinners lost without you. There is nothing right in us. We have no wisdom of our own, Father, but only to you and your revelation can we find salvation and peace and a life worth living. I pray, Father God, that in every way we could lay down all the junk at your feet, that we could open up our insides and let you see what you already know about us and just let you heal us there. 
pray that we would confess the ways we've sinned against you and against your people. And today, Father, if that's a prayer of someone here today, they're saying, yeah, I've done this. I, I'm a mess. I've, I've, I've screwed up with my kids. I've screwed up with my parents. I've screwed up with my friends. I've screwed up with you. I pray, Lord, today that we would have the courage to just ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive us, Father, for our sins? Will you forgive us today for our sins? We thank you, Father, that you are a God who is just and who is merciful. And we thank you for the promise of your word that you do forgive our sins in Jesus. And I pray today, Father, as we continue in this time of worship, that our response would be genuine and authentic, that we would be responding to you and your great love for us, that you'd be glorified in everything we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The family challenge this week is to implement this in some way, you know? I don't know if someone was brought to mind today that you think, man, I need to do that. And maybe you need to do a little one before a big one. I always think about that. Do a little one and see what it's like. If there's that big one, you're terrified. And you're like, I'm going to do the big one first. You'll never do it. Pick something small, you know, and go and walk through that process with somebody and see what God does through it. See what fruit he bears in your life. And uh, you can continue. It becomes a habit. It becomes like generosity. It becomes something you just live out of all the time. Hope you'll do that.